Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, a podcast where we explore the origins and developments of the DC multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back. We are today looking at issue 61 of Showcase, which was published on the 25th of January 1966 and is covered dated April 1966. Now, you may have listened to a recent episode where we covered issue 60 of Showcase, which featured the return of the Spectre. Issue 61 also features the Spectre. Peter, tell us about this spectacular cover. Spectacular cover. <laughs> we have a scene in space. We have the Spectre fighting a giant red demon with a lovely blue trunks and a big white belt uh, <laughs> and the spectre's giving a good old gut punch yep but unfortunately the demon seems to have the earth in his hands and is smashing it over the spectre's heads phenomenal no! the design on on the demon's belt reminds me of the slightly ornate fashioned versions i've seen of our man's belt occasionally oh yes am i, I an our man obsessive listeners Yes, I am an hour man obsessive. Anyway, let's, let's not... <laughs> Time will tell. Am I... <laughs> am I seeing hour man where hour man isn't? Anyway, shall we jump straight in? Yes, let's do that. Awesome. Right. We have a nice opening splash panel, which features in the left hand, the big red demon. And we can see in the inside, this inside panel, he's got a very hairy belly. I don't like... <laughs> I don't like the look of this guy at all. I would not <laughs> like to meet him walking down a dark alley, put it that way. And he's standing on one side of the of the page, and on the other side of the page is the Spectre. And they're divided by a little bit of, looks like a bit of a, a sprinkling of cosmic dust. Mm-hmm. And on the, the big red demon guy, he has some yellow-winged demons who look at, who, to be honest, they remind me a little bit of Etrigan, the Jack Kirby creation who is... Yeah, a cross between Etrigan and Man Bat sort of thing. Yeah, you know, Etrigan hasn't been published yet, but you know, you're know you bound to be familiar with them. DC's demon. And it's obvious that these yellow demons are in the company of the big red demon with the, the blue trunks and the, the hairy belly and the fancy belt. And the yellow demons are obviously pushing through this little cosmic sprinkle dust divide. And the spectre is trying to fight them back. They've got clubs and the spectre is standing with sort of the traditional sort of Murphy Anderson cityscape behind them. And where the demons are standing there's little fire pits and there's a dark, dark sky and there's some mountain in the background. So that's quite a nice little contrast. BC, what does this very exciting opening caption say then? Billions of years ago, the first primal atom exploded to create the eons and planets, plants and animals, good and evil. For long eons, evil has existed in the psychomatter universe of Dis, awaiting that moment out of time when it could break through and dominate the Earth. Assigned to thwart this threat is the Spectre. The only one possessing power enough to keep the force of evil penned up. Beyond, Beyond the, the sinister, sinister barrier. Fantastic. Maybe that little sprinkle of cosmic dust that looks as if it's been casually strewn over the page is the sinister barrier. I wonder. I'm sure we'll find out. Also on the splash page, we've got the story credits as well. Yes. It's the same for all the Golden Age revivals. It's Gardner Fox writing, and as you mentioned, Murphy Anderson doing the wonderful art on it. Right, we shall jump into the story then. We open on page two and we see a shirtless man with a moustache dragging himself through a desert. There's a burning sun and a clear sky and the opening caption says, Along the scorching sands of the Gobi Desert staggers a Mongolian bandit, his tongue swollen, his senses reeling from thirst. And the bandit's saying, Water! Demon spirits of the desert, give me water! I'd die if I did not have it! Suddenly, ahead of him... And the Mongolian bandit can see a little pool of water before him. And he says, 
pool of water, thanks to Mercuet, the heavenly bird which guides all travellers. And he falls to his knees. Obviously he's grabbed the water to take a drink, but it's turning to sand in his hands. And he says, Aye, it was only a mirage. This is sand, not water. And then another voice from out of nowhere says, Despair not. I would willingly change the sand to water again for a small price. Your shadow. Who speaks? Who barters with me for my life? It is I, Shathan the Eternal, master of Dis, ruler of the Psychomatter Worlds. Do you sell me your shadow? Yes or no? And we should probably point out at this point, there appears to be a little sort of whirlwind underneath the sort of speech bubble for this disembodied voice. I like the way they've rendered the disembodied voice because rather than the traditional sort of speech bubble, there's sort of lines around it, giving it a sense that almost like the voice is appearing in front of him. I wonder if maybe he's actually seeing the glow Mm. in midair. It's quite interesting. Yes. So anyway, we continue to panel four of page two and the lost Mongolian bandit says, My life for my shadow. Yes, yes, take it. But give me water. So be it. Your shadow belongs to me. Now drink. In this panel, again, similar to the sort of whirlpool effect that we saw in the previous panel, it looks as though this whirlpool is reaching out and touching the bandit on his forehead. I wonder if that's when it's stealing his shadow. Anyway, the caption for the next panel says, There is no longer any shadow upon the hot sands of the desert. Only the parched bandit slurping up water. We can see now the water has reappeared in front of the bandit and he's pouring it over himself and he's saying, I will live! And the disembodied voice says, I too shall live on earth. With enough human shadows, I shall know life here as I have known it for all eternity in this land of evil. Dissent that. So now we reach the top of page three. Some days later in France, spelunker André Voisin finds himself trapped by a cave-in when suddenly... And we see André. He has a little lamp illuminating him in the, the cave that he's become trapped. He's wearing a check shirt and jeans and he's battering on the wall of the cave trying to get out. And he says, Help! Help! Get me out of here! I don't want to die! I can't... Can't anyone hear me? And then the disembodied voice appears and it says, I answer your call! You can keep your life for a price! And then close up, André says, Ha! Who's there? Ah, what does it matter? I'll sell you anything if you save me. Even my soul! Your soul is of no use to me, but your shadow is. And, since the selling price is agreeable, go free! And as we move to panel three, we definitely get a sense here that the voice, the disembodied voice, is definitely coming from a sort of ball of energy. Because the ball of energy is directing a pink beam which seems to create a hole in the cave wall so that Andre can escape. We move to panel four. In Africa, world-renowned big game hunter Olive Morel faces a maddened elephant when... And this is some fantastic Murphy Anderson work. We see um, Olive, she has her back to us as the elephant is stampeding towards her with a click-click. She's trying to fire a rifle, but it's not working, and she says... My gun, empty, my life in danger. And then we see the little disembodied voice appear again, and it says... I can put a bullet in your gun if you sell me your shadow. And it's a great point of view panel. As Olive looks up at the elephant and she says, My life is priceless. My shadow valueless. Give me that bullet. And in the next panel with a BAM! She fires her gun at the elephant. Oh, her shadow is still there from what we can see. It does look as though it's fading out though. And she says, Got it. Just in time. What a lifesaver. Over the page to page four. Next in Gateway City, a 
window washer feels his safety belt snap as... Oh yeah, drama. And this man, who we see, has a sort of harness around his waist, which is obviously what connects him to the building, and it's snapped. You can see his bucket of water, which he's let go of as he's fallen. He's fallen backwards, basically, almost head over heels, and he's, and he's exclaiming, Falling 40 stories! My life's not worth a... And then we see the little glowing bubble again, and it says, Is it worth your shadow? And the man is falling and thinking, Hearing things must be out of my mind, but what can I lose? Yes, yes, take my shadow, give me my life. And then in the next panel, we see him landing deftly on the pavement. There's a woman in the red dress who has a hand to her mouth. She's sort of stunned. And we see at the back of the panel, standing next to the open door of his police car, it's our old mate, Detective Jim Corrigan, who says, He landed as lightly as a feather. What a lucky guy. He must have been saved by a sudden updraft of wind. The caption for the next panel. Even as Detective Captain Jim Corrigan returns to his police car, a voice whispers within him. It was no wind, Jim. Look again at that window washer. You were so excited you never noticed that. As Jim turns, he says. Never noticed what? I, oh, I see. He has no shadow. And in the final panel of page four, we now see that Jim has got into his car and the spectre forces emerging from him, saying, It disappeared even as he fell. This is a job for the spectre. As we move to the top of page five, a caption helpfully tells us. From the body of Jim Corrigan, detective, he comes. This eerie being known as the Spectre, whose daring exploits have helped to hold in check the crime lords of the earth, whose powers border on the spectacular and the weird. And it's a nice panel of the Spectre standing looking very heroic with his cape billowing around him and he's thinking to himself, I sense an evil aura deep inside that man. I must follow him, discover what alien and mysterious forces are at work here on Earth. Invisible to all eyes, he stalks the window washer. Suddenly... And the window washer, who we should describe now as a kind of baldy gentleman wearing a sort of vaguely purple shirt and some brown trousers, he's marching off, he's marching down an alleyway by the looks of it. We see the, a white silhouette of the spectre following behind him. And the spectre is thinking, I'm being gripped by some form of ectoplasmic magnetism. It's drawing me toward that window washer. I am powerless to stop it. And in the next panel, there's a sort of burst of a little wave of golden energy. Sort of, It looks like it's either coming out the back of the window washer's head or he's trailing it behind him. But the spectre's silhouette is caught in it. The spectre is thinking, Never encountered an eerie force of such magnitude. Caption for the next panel. The ghostly guardian is drawn inside the window washer's body where a dark sinister shadow waits to enfold him. I wonder if it's the ectoplasmic magnetism that's turned him into the white silhouette. At first I thought in that first panel it was um, just a bit of a stylistic choice, yeah. but it's, I think that's what's been implied. It may well be. It kind of looks like an anti-shadow. Yeah, that's very true. Panel four of page five shows this white shadow silhouette of the spectre, and he's squaring up to a very gangly-looking black silhouette. Reminds me a little bit of the Shadow Thief from the Hawkman comics. Yes, very much so. And as the, the white spectre silhouette stands to square up against this other shadowy figure, he is thinking, The missing shadow, emitting evil energy, building in frightful fury. It's very nice of the spectre to explain what's happening as we go along. The caption for the next panel. As spirit jewels with shadow, unnatural forces seethe and stir, gathering explosive pressure until... And it looks as though there's a massive explosion of energy around the shadow figure. It's that now trademark sequence of jaggedy, co-eccentric circles and the, the spectre silhouette's flying away from the shadow man and he's thinking, The psychic detonation is hurling me completely out of the physical universe. Gosh! Over the page to page six. 
whirled upward into planes of existence that have no counterpart on Earth, the disembodied detective finds Gateway City gone, and, in its place, a barren, painful land. And we see the spectre, and he's now basically standing in the barren land that we saw in the opening splash panel. Little rock pools around him, what's left of some dead trees, some mountains in the background, just your, your average typical gorgeous Murphy Anderson alien barren landscape. And the spectre is thinking, With my extrasensory powers I can feel the sheer evil of this place, beating against me with overwhelming force. The caption for the next panel. Racing toward him, their empty eyes alight with evil, come... The demonic denizens of this eldritch world. And rushing towards the spectre are the yellow guys who we described in opening panels. Now there's one who looks basically like a lizard. There's one with a very sort of thin head and a big long tail. There's another guy with wings who's flying towards the spectre. He's carrying a club. Remember Lockheed the dragon from the X-Men comics? Oh yes, uh uh-huh. It's a guy that looks a little bit like Lockheed flying directly over the spectre. There's a couple of other ones. And as the spectre sees all these horrible guys rushing towards him, he thinks... I have no need to fear these creatures. Their weapons cannot harm my discarnate body. However, the caption for the next panel says, But, as the first flail is flung... And one little demon guy, who is a bit of a pot belly, blue shorts, he has fins on the side of his head, he looks a little bit like Merman from the Masters of the Universe. Yes. He has a sort of mace on a chain, which he has struck the spectre on the chest, and the spectre exclaims, It's uncanny! My body on this world is racked with pain! Our closing caption says, can the spectre survive in this eerie psychomatter world? What terrible entity is directing its malignant fury at him, and why? The deadly doom designed to destroy the Ace of Shades continues on the fifth page following. The Ace of Shades? I like that. The rest of that page is filled out with a DC House advert for the latest issue of Challengers of the Unknown. And we flip past the pages. There's a joke page. That's good. There's a Supergirl 80-page giant advert, and then we arrive at Beyond the Sinister Barrier, Part 2. Now, this is an awesome full-page splash of the Spectre battling some of the demons. There's one guy who, he's sort of like turkey feet, legs almost like Pan or Mr. What's-His-Face yes. from the, the Narnia books. He has a very sharp beaky nose and glowing red eyes and yellow spikes in his head. There's a, the little guy with the mace club, and he's a lot shorter and squatter. There's a guy behind the spectre who has horns as well as fins around his head. He's carrying a little mallet. The spectre's being grabbed around the leg by a very small demon with really, really sharp teeth, fins on the side of his head, glowing red eyes. And there's another sort of slightly more stunted in his features demon coming in from stage left and he's carrying a club and the opening caption says weapon after weapon striking the ghostly guardian sends him reeling in mingled shock and surprise he battles back lashing out with savage fists never before has he been subjected to such a deadly game of give and take where his life essence might at any moment be driven from his spirit shape And as the spectre battles against the demons, the little guy with the club and the wings says, In this world of this, we are all non-matter, just as you are, spectre. And the demon with the horns and the mallet says, And our weapons can destroy you because they, like us, are of the same structure as your body. Blimey, over the page to page eight. The odds against him are terrible, but the spectre is a fighter. He lifts and hurls Sathala of the Hundred Seas into the demonic Arhim of the Windy Worlds. And Spectre has flipped the the guy who was coming in from the left on the previous page, flipped him over his head and he's flung him against one of the other guys who was carrying a club. 
and in the next panel, the spectre ducks down as another guy with a club and a big pot belly swings at him, and the spectre is thinking, The abominations of all time are here. These fiends are the living incarnation of every evil known to man. This evil is seeking to escape from the world of this into earth, but why? And who can be behind it? And with a lovely sock sound effect, he punches another demon right in the chin. Then the caption for the next panel. Struggle as he will, the demons are too many in number for the discarnate detective. Individually imbued with powers equal almost to his own, they attack savagely, furiously. The next panel shows the spectre being attacked in silhouette by, by the horde of demons, and he is thinking... I sense also that I am the only thing on earth that can prevent this invasion of evil. I was lured here to be destroyed, to clear the path for... What? In the next panel, one of the demons has his arm around the spectre's neck, and a lot of the others are closing in on him, and the spectre thinks, I have one trick still in reserve. If that fails me on this world, but no, I must not fail. And then we move to the top of page nine, and the spectre grows to giant size, scattering the demons and leaving a few of them standing looking up at him. And as he rears up, he thinks, I am not bound by ordinary laws. I can make myself as large as the very universe. He continues to grow in the next panel. I'll grow until I become so nebulous that the weapons of the demons will pass between the spaces of the atoms which make up my body. And in this final panel of that sequence, he has grown to an enormous size so that the demons are tiny, tiny beside his foot. The caption for the next panel says, Now his psychomatter body is hundreds, thousands, millions of light years large. Comets, suns, galaxies pass harmlessly through his supergiant shape. It's a shame this panel isn't bigger, to be honest. Yeah, it kind of deserves it, doesn't it? It's quite cosmic, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. As a spectre sort of flying, we can see a comet passing through his cape, and it looks like he's swimming past the galaxy in a little, a little sun there. And he's thinking as he goes, I must concentrate again. Will the floating particles of my substance to regroup themselves back on the earth of my birth? Next moment, he stands in the wispy fog, blowing in off the waters of Gateway Harbour, where... The Foghorns build a mournful symphony in the misty air. And sure enough, we see the spectre. He seems that he's made it back to Earth under his own power. I'm very impressed. Standing on the jetty. And we see giant captions saying, Coo! Coo! Obviously symbolising the Foghorn. And a spectre is standing there thinking, That's odd. The Foghorns seem to be making intelligible sounds. To me. We're now at the bottom of page 9. And the caption for the final panel says, the psychic ears of the spirit sleuth make sense of those blaring horns. Hear them as words. This is almost from the spectre's point of view, I suppose, because we see hanging in the air in the foggy night a speech bubble, and it says, You are puzzled, spectre, shaken by what you have seen and experienced. Know you that the forces of evil are abroad on earth. Not long ago, as Modus sought to unleash universal wickedness, but you stopped him. That's a little asterisk, and a little helpful footnote reminds us about Showcase Issue 60, The War That Shook the Universe. Over the page to page 10, and we see the spectre standing listening as the voice continues. Now Shathan the Eternal seeks to rip the sinister barrier between the world of Dis and Earth. Already he has sought to destroy you, he knows that through you must be fought the coming battle of good and evil. You have the power to eliminate time, to ally yourself to its steady flow. 
Go back now to the very beginnings of all things and know from whence this Shahan springs. I wonder whose voice do you think this is? Hmm. Could it be the voice that gave the spectre his powers? It could be. Certainly been given a, a helpful warning. Anyway, the caption for the next panel. The spectre possesses the power to pulsate his spirit form, to merge it with the pulse of time itself, to flow forward or backward in time. And we see the spectre standing and there's a sort of red, yellow and white band of energy sort of surrounding him. He's stretching his hands out and he's thinking, Time is always. In time there is no actual past or future. Only the finite senses of man invent such differences, for otherwise man could not exist. As I pulsate, I become a part of time. Backward he flows through the stream of ages and eons. A part of all that is taking place has taken place or will take place. And this first panel we see shows a couple of knights in armour with a lady in a big hat cowering in the grass and a horse in the background and they're sort of duelling with their swords and a translucent spectre passes straight through them, obviously on his journey back through time. Until he comes to that very first moment in time, 12 billion years before, when all that exists is the primal atom, immense beyond belief, cosmically gigantic. And it's basically a giant glowing blue ball with lots of dots all over it. It's a big burst of golden energy and we see a, a white silhouette of the spectre contemplating it, thinking... Everything which is to be in the universe is contained in that atom. Then, out of the void, stabs the creative force. A bolt of supernormal power which hurtles into the colossal atom. And basically, this little caption box has turned almost into Johnny Thunder's Thunderbolt. It's like yes. a big pink stylized thunderbolt striking the atom, which has now turned orange and continues to glow, and it looks like there's more of a burst of energy surrounding it. And as he beholds this, the spectre thinks... This is the very instant of creation. This is reminding me of certain elements of the story from Green Lantern Falls. Yes, no sign of a giant hand, though. <laughs> but the fact that the spectre is mm. there. Oh, yes, this is the dawn of time, pretty much. The Big Bang. Bear that in mind, listeners. Keep it in mind for many, many months and years in the future when we reach Crisis and Infinite Earths. We then move to the top of page 11. Matter explodes! Out to fill the void of a now-expanding universe. Eventually to make stars and planets, plants and animals rush the atomic particles. Indeed, as the panel, as the, the caption describes, we see a whole bunch of smaller balls, obviously signifying everything, all bursting out from the area where the giant atom that the spectre was watching was. And the spectre sort of is flying away from them, thinking, Nothing could exist in that inferno. Absolutely nothing. I must flee before it. At this same moment, for every action must have an equal and opposite reaction. Another universe is formed by implosion. A netherverse. And this is fascinating because instead of the black background of space, we have the yellow background of presumably this netherverse. And the spectre himself is, instead of being green and white, it's been flipped to sort of red and very shaded purple. Very interesting. And the burst of energy that he's seeing is now little black dots against the yellow. I'm tempted to suggest this could be this could almost be an antimatter universe, but it's not. It's such a, it's a nether universe. But it's very interesting that we've got the spectre and we're being shown the creation of the universe because that is all something that we will come back to. Anyway, the spectre is thinking. Now I understand. Thus was formed the world of this evil, malignant, of psychomatter as opposed to true matter. For every good, there is an evil. For him who is good. 
There is Shathan, who is evil, and so in the netherworlds of this, Shathan rules. This is an interesting panel because we see Shathan in all his hairy-bellied, blue-trunked glory, sat in a big seat that seems to be floating above a city. The eyes of the spectre are sort of inlaid in the background as if he's watching the passage of time in the netherverse, and the spectre is thinking, Shathan appeared to the demons of Dis, and is worshipped by them. It is that worship which gives him existence. The next panel shows that Shathan is standing up and is now walking amongst the city, and the spectre continues to think, As long as there is a belief in him, Shathan exists. He is revered in its universe, and being evil, sought to be master of more than the psychomatic cosmos of this. This is very interesting. They're obviously comparing to God, I suppose, aren't they? Yes, mm. certainly seems that way. Yeah. So the bottom panel of page 11 has a sort of insert of the side of the spectre. We see what looks like a witch at a cauldron. We see a goat, and we see a demon statue guy sat cross-legged holding a little bowl that's on fire. And the spectre, beside all of this, thinks... He wants to dominate the physical matter universe with Earth serving as a stepping stone for his conquest. To break the barrier between the opposite universes, he sent evil mental images in the past. Interesting. Over the page to page 12. And the spectre's ruminations continue. Nice that there's a few panels here which have inserts of his head as obviously he's narrating what's going on. And the first one he's saying, But the forces of good were not asleep. Great men rose up to lead the way of goodness. And we see a panel showing Moses, Peter, Buddha and Mohammed. There's a panel of me. There's, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very interesting there to see um, renderings of all of those religious figures because that sort of thing can be a little controversial nowadays. Mm. The spectre continues. Slowly those powers of good push back the evil. Had they not, good would not have been believed in and so would have ceased to exist. And we see Moses using his tablet to shatter the, the statue of the false idol of the cow. And then the next panel, the spectre continues to say... Centuries later, Shathan the Eternal sent his personally trained deputy as Modus into Earth to pave the way for his own appearance. Interesting. Ah, well this ties in obviously to what we saw in Showcase 60. Yes, good. Because <laughs> we see as Modus looking at the statue and that little crystal ball thing which he had the last time. Um, so obviously we now know, I suppose, that statue was meant to represent Shathan. The spectre continues. As Modus came close to succeeding, but I defeated him, placing him in no time and no space. And we have a little flashback to the spectre and Asmodus, who still looks like Votan coloured and throwing felt tips, standing against the, the blue and purple co-centric circles from last time, and the spectre is declaring, Here you shall remain for all infinity, powerless to work your evil will on human or spirit being ever again. The spectre continues his narration in this final panel of this page. The nice little insert of, of his face at the side, and he's watching himself flying out of the blue and purple circles. And the narration spectre is saying, I could not hear his last thought until now, as the essence of goodness surges through me, opening the doorways of past, present and future. And as the spectre flies along, we hear Asmodus's voice. I have lost, but you have not won, spectre, as you shall learn when my sinister scheme unfolds on Earth. Soon, very soon. We're now at the top of page 13. The sinister plan of Asmodus is now revealed in the mind of the spectre. And we see the spectre standing with his cape wrapped around him. There's almost an eclipsed moon in the background. I wonder if actually he's back on the little demon place now, because it looks, does look like it. Yeah, very Obviously much he's so, sort yeah. of standing in the middle of a puddle. Very, very moody shot of the spectre, thinking, Asmodus set eerie forces in motion, which permitted his master Shathan to break through the sinister barrier and enter Earth. 
by securing the shadows of willing victims on the verge of death and imprisoning them in the bodies of their former owners, he has created a loyal following of earth people. By believing in Shafan, his subjects cause him to exist on earth. He will grow more powerful and blot out the belief in good. Then only evil will dominate the world. In this last panel, this little sequence, it looks... Is this the spectre flying off, or is he standing on top of a mountain of ice, or standing on top of a giant candle? I'm not quite sure. He's just looking dramatic. That's basically... <laughs> yeah, but the spectre's standing, and a sort of halo burst of energy all around him, and he's thinking, I alone, as the deputy of good, as Asmodus was the deputy of Shathan, can prevent this. It is my duty, perhaps even the very reason, why the spectre was brought into existence years ago. Wow. This is epic. Interesting phrase he's used there. The deputy of good, obviously. Yes. Obviously, as Modus was the deputy of Shathan. Shathan pretty much is the devil in this. Yes. So the deputy of good, if you drop one of the O's, mm. what did we get? Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Is I mean, obviously, it's it's very implicit, isn't it? They're not coming mm. right out and saying it, but it's there. I mean, and obviously, showing Moses and Peter and Buddha and stuff like that, that's obviously, those are clear religious references. So, yes. Because one thing I remember from the Ostrander series is this the first time we mentioned the Ostrander series from this episode? Yes. Which was published in, through the 90s. Was It was basically, there was, there was no two ways about it. The Spectre was operating on behalf of God. Mm-hmm. You know, the term was used. So anyway, we drop to the bottom of page 13 and a caption says, Momentarily exhausted by his trip through time and the nether universe of Dis, the spirit sleuth returns into the body of Jim Corrigan, just as... And this is a great panel because the spectre is arriving and fades back into Jim's body right while Jim is in the middle of some fisticuffs. <laughs> Jim's punching a guy across the face. The guy's wearing a sort of white shirt and purple trousers. And as the spectre merges with Jim, he thinks, I must reflect on what I've learned. Devise a plan of attack. The caption for the next panel says, He pays no heed to the fact that Detective Captain Corrigan is himself fighting for law and order. And a very dynamic panel of the bad guy that Corrigan is fighting punching Jim in the face and saying, You'll never take me, Corrigan. We move to the top of page 14. Now, this is a very dynamic page. In fact, this whole two-page spread is gorgeous. Yeah. Masterful storytelling from Murphy Anderson. So the caption for the first panel says, To each his own. To the spectre, the troubles of the psycho world. To Jim Corrigan, the comparatively petty crimes of errant humans. And Jim has jumped forward and he's grabbed the guy he's fighting round the waist and he's forcing him backwards into the open lift that they're standing beside. And Jim says, If you have any complaints, tell it to the judge. You're the brains behind the warehouse robberies gang and you're going to join them in jail. And with a thump, he was the bad guy against the wall of the lift. Then in the next panel, Jim punches the guy in the face with a sock and says, There's the clincher. However, the caption for the next panel says, so intent is Jim Corrigan on his own battle of good over evil that he does not hear the faint snick of parting elevator cables. And what we see in this panel, we see a close-up of the elevator cables and there's a part of a disembodied red hand. I wonder who the red hand belongs Ooh. to. Mm. I wonder. An exaggerated click sound effect as the red hand is gesturing with its index finger and the lift cables have snapped. Only the spectre senses the raw evil surrounding the elevator as it starts its long fall to death and destruction on the ground far below. Peter does love a cutaway, don't you, Peter? Always. Yes. Always. The next sequence of three panels is, is a cutaway of the side of the building, and we see the lift sort of starting to plummet in its lift shaft and the cables underneath sort of loosening because there's no tension because it's falling. And Jim Corrigan reacting, and the baddies on the floor, and we can see that the spectre within Jim is thinking, 
I sense the evil of Shethan the Eternal. He broke the cable. The discarnate detective flows out of the car, drops downward, his hand lifting to catch and cradle the falling elevator. And this is tremendous. Out of nowhere, the spectre is reared up at a giant size and is standing underneath the falling left car and has caught it, Corrigan and the baddie still inside. And the spectre thinks, Why should the evil one concern himself with killing Jim Corrigan? Surely he poses no threat to Shathan. Slowly he shrinks, gently lowering the car. And indeed, we see the spectre getting a little smaller, lowering the car as he does so, and he's thinking, I'll save Jim's life, and that of the crook. But if only I knew why Shathan attacked them, it might enable me to know what to do. Then the caption for the next panel at the top of page 15 says, There is no answer to the question in the mind of the ghostly guardian who makes the police rounds with Jim Corrigan next day. And this is great because we've basically caught to Jim Corrigan in the middle of a high-speed chase. Um, There's a police car rolling alongside another car and Jim has the door of his police car open and he's starting to jump from his car to the other car. And he's saying to whoever's driving his police car, get me just a little closer so I can jump. And the next panel, he has made it. He's now attached to the side of the other car and he's saying, made it. I've got a good grip on him. And the bad guy in the other car says, like, oh, or I'll crash. And in the next panel, that's exactly what happens. As the car slams into a bridge guardrail. With a massive crash sound effect, we see Corrigan and the bad guy leaping away from the car as it does so. And Jim says, got you. Over the page to page 16. And the first caption on page 16 says, At that instant, the bridge collapses. That was a bit of a narrative jump. Good grief. The spectre forces emerge from Jim, who's standing with his bad guy pal. At the edge of the bridge, we can see the bridge is broken. We can see the river flowing underneath it. And the spectre is flying above, thinking... Shathan has struck again. It was his force that shattered the bridge. The psychic energies of the spirit sleuth are so great that as fast as Shathan destroys the bridge, so the spectre rebuilds it. That's an excellent panel because the spectre in this panel has four arms. Yes, he must have been forewarned. <laughs> I think he must have been. Yes. <laughs> um, and as the spectre is working on the bridge, he is thinking. Of course, Shathan is keeping me busy to give himself time to assemble the men and women whose shadows he owns. When they begin worshipping him and believe in him, evil forces will be set in motion to enable him to dominate this world. And I love this, just the way that his cape is flying behind him. Yes. The caption doesn't even mention it. The dialogue as such as it is doesn't mention it. But yeah, his four arms, and each of these four arms obviously is repairing the bridge. We can see he's holding something in his hand, which I guess is just some more materials that he's going to use. That's superb. Again, that should be a bigger panel, really, shouldn't it? Yes, definitely. We shouldn't have had this statement of ownership at the bottom. We should have two larger panels showing us this. <laughs> but anyway, this chapter concludes with a close-up insert panel of the spectre, moodily thinking, I must move now to stop him. With paranormal senses, I will track down Shathan and his worshippers. And the closing caption box, which shows the spectre on one side and Shathan on the other, squaring up to each other. And the caption says, But will the mighty spectre be able to overcome the evil one when they meet in combat? Great indeed are the powers of the spectre, but just as mighty are those of Shathan the Eternal. The colossal conclusion starts on the fourth page following. And amongst the adverts in the um, the four pages following, there's a full page advert for an exciting ant farm, an ant's entire world complete with stock of live ants. Bet your mum's going to love that. And we have a half page advertisement for the latest issue of Batman, which I'm just going to tell you about quickly because the hype on it is enormous. The hit attraction on Broadway is Fiddler on the Roof, but in Batman, it's Riddler on the Move. 
as the question mark costume criminal riddle racks Batman and Robin with puzzles of pearls in. And it's the cover of Batman issue 179 showing the Riddler holding some playing cards and Batman and Robin swinging in on their famous ropes. How exciting! But we're not dealing with Batman and the Riddler, we're dealing with Shafan and the Spectre. So over the page to the top of page 17 and Beyond the Sinister Barrier Part 3 And man, is it kicking off! So we have a full page panel starting off this story and a caption box that says In a long forgotten temple gather the shadow sellers to worship Shathan. Their voices are raised in an ancient chorus, a chant that compels the presence of Shathan, a paean that shatters the barriers between this and earth, a song whose very evil alerts the discarnate detective to its existence. And there is a lot going on in this panel. It looks almost like a sort of temple sort of situation. In the foreground of the panel, we see the lady who was hunting the elephant, we see the window washer, we see the man who was dying in the desert, and we see Andre who was trapped in his cave. And in the background, we can see even more people, which suggests Shathan has been even busier, gathering more sort of disciples. And they're all chanting. And they all have their hands raised. And above them, in a burst of flames, Shathan is fading in. It's like he's, it's almost like they're chanting and willing him into existence. And in the background of this panel, flying in against the trademark Murphy Anderson full moon, yes. is the spectre. And he yells... I'm too late. Shathan is on Earth. Slowly forms that grim being from the netherworlds. Slowly, as the voices of his followers raise in pains of exultation. I hope us chanting that doesn't summon Shathan. Have you got a shadow? Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, just about. And we see Shathan standing amongst the flames as his followers are chanting all around him and we can see little chords that it's almost like they're singing at him and he's delighted. And then we get a close-up of him in the next panel and the caption says, Those voices soar in ecstasy, for now Shathan the Eternal firms solidly before them, eyes glowing redly with ancient evil, lips curving grimly in triumph. We get a nice close-up of Shathan here, flames all around him, and he speaks in the same disembodied voice that we heard earlier on. The worship of my followers on Earth, those who saw me their shadows, has broken the barriers between the worlds. Shathan is now fully formed. He is here, he's arrived, unlike the earlier panels where he was clearly fading in. The spectre drops towards him and the caption says, From above, the spectre drops swiftly, like a hunting falcon. As the spectre flies towards Shathan, Shathan cries, You can do nothing against me, spectre. What matters now is not your failure, but my triumph. This is huge. This is basically the spectre versus the devil. This is terrifying. The caption for the next panel says, Desperately filled with the knowledge that he is leaping into a battle more deadly than any he has ever thought, the spirit sleuth rams into his quarry. And the spectre strikes Shathan, who seems to be falling backwards into the wall. And the spectre thinks, He's going through the stone of this temple wall. Shathan says, Ha <laughs> ha! Being of psychomatter like you, I am not affected by material things. Next panel, the spectre punches Shathan across the face, saying, In that case, you'll be able to feel my psycho fist. Shathan says, Never before have I been struck. I do not like it. 
We arrive on page 19 and the first caption says, Even as he reels back, Shathan sends a mental command to his followers to sing again. And in the background of this panel, we can see that the chanting is going on again. Ruth 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 And as the spectre runs towards Shathan, Shathan says, I can shake off the effects of your blow thanks to my worshippers. And as the chant gives me extra strength and power, I'll beat you into insensibility. And with an uppercut, Shathan strikes the spectre. Shathan there in all his hairy, fat belly glory. And the spectre recoils, thinking, Got to get him away from those shadow slaves, or they'll eventually make him stronger than I am. The caption for the next panel. Gripping his foe, the ghostly guardian rocket spaceward. I mean, this is really brave of the spectre. Considering the you know how powerful this guy is, he's grabbed him by the the ankle and and he's flying up into the sky. We can see the the full moon in the background, and the spectre is thinking, only by taking him far enough away from his followers will I have a chance to defeat him. And the caption for the next panel says, then as the spectre suddenly unleashes a savage blow, and the spectre aims a punch at Shathan, who ducks back, saying, "You missed." And then the caption for the next panel says. But that blow has not ended, for, with speed beyond human comprehension, that awesome psychomatter fist hurtles on and on across the hundreds of billion light years of the universe. And this is crazy, because right enough, we see the spectre's hand zooming through space. And the caption for the next panel To return, since space time is curved, and belt the dictator of Dis from behind. And with a Pooey sound effect, we see the spectre's hand flying in behind Shathan and striking him on the back of the head. Superb. Shathan does not expect it in the slightest. Over the page to page 20. Though dazed, the evil one grapples with spectre, who twists their angle of fall until the massive fiery ball of Sol looms below. And this is a great panel. We can see that they're basically now fighting very close to the surface of the sun. And Shathan says... All that remains is for me to get rid of you, Spectre, and this entire matter universe will worship only me. The caption for the next panel says, Deep, deep, deep into the heart of the fiery furnace, which is the sun, they plunge, fighting, wrestling, seeking lethal holds on one another. They struggle on. And we see them now, both bright orange as they tussle and fight within the heart of the sun itself. And the spectre is thinking, Even a 25 million degree heat of the sun cannot harm him as I'd hoped. I'm beginning to think that there is nothing that can affect him, and yet, Shathan is not all-knowing, though he seemingly is all-powerful. He is not familiar with this matter-universe as he is with his own world of this. Therein lies my only hope of victory. The caption for the next panel. Out of the sun and through the dark depths of space hurtle the grappling figures. The next panel shows the spectre and Shathan. It looks like they're still on fire, basically, from being in the heart of the sun. They're continuing to grapple and fight, and a spectre is thinking, I must use the forces of good, one of which is time that heals all wounds. The caption for the next panel. Suddenly, the spirit sleuth changes the pulsations of his psychomatter body, drawing Shathan into that same vibratory field. And we see them now moving through space. It looks like they're starting to fall towards the surface of the earth, and there's a sort of pink glow all around them and they're leaving a pink trail behind and the spectre thinks I shall take him back in time with me to the most destructive events on earth not knowing about these awesome disasters he will be unprepared for them reach the top of page 21 and a caption says gripping the demon dictator of dis 
The specter drops downward over the Soviet Union on the 30th day of October, 1961, five years in the past. And this is a great panel. You can literally feel the wind rushing past them as they're obviously plummeting downwards to the ground. Spectre has a grip of Shathan and he's thinking, Shathan isn't aware of it, but the Russians are about to detonate a 57 megaton thermonuclear bomb, the largest man-made explosion in history. And the next panel with a massive va-boom, we see the nuclear bomb going off and the caption says, He hurls him downward into that nuclear inferno. I see the Spectres throwing Shathan forward. The Spectre cries, Such a release of energy should annihilate him. The caption for the next panel. Yet, even that terrifying blast does no more than shake up Shathan. <laughs> shake up Shathan? Sounds like a really terrible 90s sitcom. Two series <laughs> on BBC One. <laughs> and this panel shows the Spectre reaching for Shathan, and the Spectre thinking, Got to try another disaster, and quickly before he recovers his strength. Obviously the nuclear bomb wasn't enough to take him out, so the caption for the next panel says, Backward through time flees the spirit sleuth with his eerie enemy to Siberia on June 30, 1908, as a great fireball roars down from the sky near the Yenisi River. This is a great panel of the spectre bearing Shathan in front of him, and the fireball is burning down the sky towards them. They're about to converge, and the spectre is thinking, In a moment, that mysterious fireball is going to fly to pieces, an explosion so great it will be heard 600 miles away. We're now at the top of page 22. Even in the year 1966, no man is able to explain what this mysterious explosion was or where the fireball came from. Some believe it was a spaceship from another world that blew up in our atmosphere. Others theorized our universe was invaded by a chunk of antimatter. And this panel shows a massive clavroom sound effect as Shathan and his hairy belly are caught in yet another explosion. However, it's still not worked. The caption for the next panel. Though, obviously weakened by the awesome blast that caused flames 12 miles high, Shathan is still conscious and more vicious than ever. And another panel showing Shathan and the Spectre fighting amongst the flames and the Spectre's thinking, There was an even more deadly explosion a quarter of a century before. Perhaps that will overcome him. Can you guess where they're going, listeners? Caption for the next panel says, High above the island of Krakatoa on that fateful day of August 21st, 1883. This is a very economic panel. We only see the Spectre's hands here, actually. Um, we're obviously high above the volcano as he hurls Shathan downwards. And then the caption for the next panel says, Into the red glare and bubbling lava of that Brobdingnagian blow-up, he hurls him, even as the entire island erupts from the sea. Thanks, Gardner Fox. Genuinely, thanks, Gardner. <laughs> thanks for letting Peter decide to do captions. <laughs> so he'd have to read that out. <laughs> and this is basically this panel shows Shathan caught in the full heart of the explosion of Krakatoa. The spectre is standing some distance away, thinking, The island was blown to bits, 18 square miles of land disappearing forever in the blast. A column of dust and stones was blown 17 miles into the air. Thanks for that little history lesson, Gardner. And the caption for the next panel says, Yet, even now, Shathan is alive, survivor of the greatest cataclysm of its type ever recorded. It was heard 25,000 miles away. It killed 35,000 people. It caused tidal waves as far away as England. And Spectre and Shathan are grappling again. Spectre has his arm around Shathan's neck. Dust and flames all around him, and the Spectre's thinking, 
I have one last ditch hope. If that fails, nothing can stop him. We move to the top of page 23. Back, back, back through time races the spirit sleuth with his occult opponents until the struggling shades come at last to the origin of all things. If you're going to hang the atom from which everything in the universe bursts in the first act, you know that someone is going to be blown up in it in the third act, really, don't you? Chekhov's atom. Yes, Chekhov's atom. At the top of page 23, the spectre is bearing Shathan towards the, the atom that was a building block of the entire universe that we saw earlier in the story. And as they plummet towards it, the spectre is thinking, I've brought him to the primal atom. Surely here there will be a release of energy titanic enough to blast his psychomatter body. Once again, as the creative force stabs deep into the atom, deep also does the spectre toss Shathan. And again we see the primal atom being stabbed by the gigantic pink lightning bolt and burst into an orange ball of concussive force. And we see the silhouette of Shathan deep within it and the spectre flying away thinks, There it goes. I must race that expanding detonation through time itself so as not to be overtaken by it. In that most awesome of all energy explosions, the essence of Shathan the Eternal is hurled outward to be spread across the vast cosmos and the expanding universe for all infinity. And this panel indeed shows Shathan. Almost looks like he's been vibrated apart, actually. Yeah. Sort of Shathan disassembling and coming adrift as the atoms hurl outwards. Fantastic. We then see an insert panel of the Spectre having another think to himself. He can never reform himself, for he'll always be speeding outward at more than a 100,000 miles per second. The speed of the expanding universe. Now the Spectre returns to the ancient temple to find that with the existence elimination of Shathan, shadows have rejoined their worshippers. And we see the Spectre at giant size, and all of the people who he met earlier in the story, including the hunter lady and the chap who was trapped in the cave and the window washer, and he's saying to them all, I'll bring you all back to your homes. Your troubles and fears are over. Good has won out over evil. Over the page to page 24. As the last shadow victim is returned. And this panel shows the spectre flying away from Olive Morel, the game hunter. He's obviously put her back where she was taken from. And she's saying as she waves to the spectre as he flies off. Thanks, spectre, and farewell. And the spectre flies off thinking, I feel peril menacing my physical self, Jim Corrigan. I must get back to him at once. And then the caption for the next panel. But as the spirit sleuth drops down over Gateway City, he sees... He didn't have to worry, because Jim is punching out a bad guy with a sock. The bad guy's gun goes flying into the air, and we see two other hoods down and out on the ground. And the spectre drifts downwards, thinking... The peril is past. Jim has things well under control. Then the closing panel is a headshot of the spectre, with Jim Corrigan behind him, and the spectre saying... As Jim saved the city from lawless men, so I saved the world from an evil demon... Together, we shall continue our unending efforts to make Earth and its universe safe from any threat. The, the end. end. Well, that was exciting, wasn't it? That was so much better than the previous issue we did of Showcase. Yeah, a lot more coherent. Yeah, the previous issue really had so many plot holes and problems with it. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that this actually ties into it, and it doesn't quite tidy up that previous issue, but it, it does at least put a button on it and, you know, Finish it off quite nicely. Definitely. I liked how they kind of skirted around the religious aspects, but, you know, implied quite strongly what was going on, who the spectre was working for. And I love the idea of the spectre yeah. just basically having a knockdown fisticuff fight with the devil. Through existence, yeah. Yeah, over the universe. I mean, obviously, what we see in the cover of Shathan striking the spectre with, with the earth doesn't actually happen, but, you know, not to worry. It was properly cosmic. 
it's really, really good. The thing is, he's fought the devil. Where does he go from here? Exactly. Yeah, the only way is down. <laughs> it was just, I love the fact as well, the Spectre kind of really, he had the upper hand pretty much right from the start. Yeah. Obviously, Shathan hadn't adjusted to mm-hmm. our universe, so the Spectre kind of had him on the back foot. No, it was great. That was enormous fun. Blimey. Speaking of hands, I like the detachable hand that he used <laughs> to basically, you know, sucker punch uh, the back of yeah. Dan's head through, by throwing it through the entire cosmos. <laughs> yeah, he was so confident. It, it didn't just unhook, or if you like, it didn't just uh-huh. sort of split from himself <laughs> and fly around them. It flew around the whole universe, first of all. Imagine being a mm. superhero whose hands and arms and legs could all split off and help you in a fight. Wouldn't that be useful? Imagine. Mm. Imagine that. That would be handy. Hmm. Mm, handy again. Should we talk about that someday? Yeah, we should. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and again, there's not an awful lot to say. I'm not getting complacent about it, but the, the artwork by Murphy was lovely again. There wasn't maybe quite as many yeah. mind-blowing panels. The storytelling sensational. Yeah, the storytelling is great. The texture and the depth of it all is, is brilliant. Some really, really good visuals, like the spectre fighting the demons and growing to giant size and then fixing the bridge with four arms. And, and as we say, that the fight around the universe. The scene in the elevator was fantastic as well. Absolutely tremendous. Mm-hmm. It felt very cinematic. Yes, definitely. Uh It was great fun. A couple of things I want to mention about this issue is, first of all, Gardner Fox, obviously, he's got a big reference library in his house. Mm. Uh, (laughs) That's one of the things that's mentioned in his his biography. So obviously he's been scouring for the biggest explosions in history that he could Mm. find Mm. uh, to use in this, which I think is great. But then, of course, we go right back to the dawn of time, and it does differ from the beginning of creation that we see in, uh, as you said, Greenland's Unforty. There yeah. is no giant hand coming up. It's, there's a good chance that a lot of the people listening to the podcast will have already read Crisis and Infinite Earths and will have read Green Lantern 40 and be aware of how Crisis sort of winds up. There's a nice sort of bookend parallel with a story almost. Yes. I wonder if the disembodied hand was maybe at this point in the narrative, could that have been the hand of Shathan trying to get free? Oh. Could that have been the hand of the spectre as he hurls Shathan into the, the atom and, is, and, and tries to get away? I don't know. It's interesting. Mm. That's incredible. What a concept. <laughs> I love it. It could be. Mm. We'll see. We'll revisit the dawn of creation. There were clear echoes of everything that we've we've seen about the, you know, the origin of the multiverse and all that sort of stuff. Yes. It didn't really quite tie up, but it didn't really contradict either. We did get a new universe, though. We got the, the nether universe. Yes. The universe of evil. And mm. also antimatter was mentioned as well, but not in relation to that universe. Yeah. But it was hypothesised that antimatter could have been the, the fireball. Uh-huh. So that's interesting. That's mentioned in the same issue that could easily have made the evil universe an antimatter universe. If there'd been maybe a little bit more sort of editorial cross-referencing or, or planning, they might even have just made it gone ahead and just made it quad full stop. I suppose you know they could have could have done they could have done could've that. Done. But I mean, I, I enjoyed seeing the Yellow Demon guys. I liked the fact that they were so individual and at the same time, yes, uh-huh. considered not that important that Gardner could just throw them away after a couple of pages. <laughs> <laughs> But they got the splash page as well, and it looked great. Yeah, and you know, I suppose the, the splash page is more symbolic than anything else, I think, we now realise mm-hmm. after reading the story. Beyond the Sinister Barrier. Hmm. I definitely enjoyed that much more than the, the last Spectre story that we did. Now, there is some reader feedback in the form of letters from these Spectre showcases, but we'll cover that when we do the third and final uh, Spectre appearance and showcase in issue 64. Mm. But in this issue... We do have a letter column, which is very rare for showcase. Yeah, we do. It's interesting what it contains, really, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. As we said before, there's been this Golden Age revival. We've had the two previous showcase stories with uh, Dr. Fate and Iron Man teaming up. And we've had the two Brave and Bold stories with Starman and Black Canary teaming up. And we said at the time, 
Unfortunately, there is no reader reaction from the time. And the last place we expected to find it, for all those stories... <laughs> was issue 61 of Showcase. Now, because normally you find that letters pages would come out three or four months at the latest. Mm-hmm. When we did Showcase 55 and 56, in our defence, we didn't think that the letters page of issue 61 of Showcase would touch <laughs> on the Golden Age stories, but indeed it does. We're going to read the whole thing out, really, because it does tie into the stuff that we covered. And again, we did lament how we didn't really have any reader reaction to the previous Showcase and B&B team-up, so we weren't really sure how um, people were receiving them. So now, buried in the middle of Showcase 61, we have a letters page headed Reader's Rendezvous, and the editorial introduction goes a little something like this. With this second showcasing of the Spectre, we're taking a breather in our revival of superheroes from the fabulous 40s of comicdom. Whether there will be more comebacks, or whether the previously revived Doctor Fate Hour Man, open brackets, Showcase 55 and 56, close brackets, and Starman Black Canary, open brackets, Brave and Bold 61 and 62, close brackets, will make further appearances is still a moot question. While the decision is being weighed, we are complying with requests to print comments on the aforementioned tryouts. It's too early for any Spectre reports. Well, that's fine. So obviously the people wanted to know what other people were saying yes. about these stories, I suppose, as well as us. We imagine this is Julie Schwartz talking here. It's interesting that he says, we're taking a breather in our revival of superheroes from the fabulous 40s. Now, remember that letter we had in Wonder Woman that implied yes. that they were going to hold off on the ah, revival? Of course. So obviously they must have read this letter column and we had no knowledge of it at the time until we came across this. That's right, because I remember when we did that episode that we weren't really sure which letter they were referring to yeah. or what specific editorial missive they were they were referring to. So it probably yes. is this one. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. We're not quite making it up as we go along, listeners. We're, you know, our research is ongoing, <laughs> as we've said many times. So the first letter yes. goes something like this. Dear Editor, Regarding the appearance of Our Man and Dr. Fate in Showcase 55, I find that I cannot find adequate words to express my elation. Although I am a long-time follower of all your magazines, I have never seen fit to write to you before. I was content to observe the opinions of your other readers, which usually tend to be the same as mine anyway. However, I take pen in hand to congratulate you on your finest achievement. To a fan who was born too late to see the original epics of the Golden Age of Comics, this grand narrative was like unto the food of the gods. As you have perhaps gathered by now, I somewhat enjoyed Solomon Grundy Goes on a Rampage. Insofar as the book itself is concerned, what can I say? The artwork was more than superb. It was indescribable. We have to try and describe it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) We do. Murphy Anderson is better than at his best when drawing nocturnal scenes. Yeah, I would agree with that. His depiction of the mighty superheroes of the past was just plain stupendorific. The story can be ranked among the greatest of Gardner Fox's dramatic efforts. It would have been enough to see Our Man and Doctor Fate alone in action. But did Mr Fox stop there? No, sir. He reintroduces one of the most horrid, despicable villains of all time, Solomon Grundy. I fear that I am beginning to ramble, so I'll sum up by saying thanks. I hope most passionately that this will not be the last to be heard from the great heroes of the past. And that's from David Anderson, Mobile, Alabama. Terrific. And the next letter, talking about the next issue showcase, says, Dear Editor, in Perils of the Psycho Pirate, you finally managed to bring out the full potential of the Super Team Supreme. Despite the lengthy and boring scientific explanation at the end, despite the features in Dr. Fate's mask on page 20, the second team-up <laughs> of Dr. Fate and Our Man was superb. Perhaps the best part of Showcase 56 was the fabulous artwork. Anderson is indubitably your best artist. I would agree with that at this point. The cover, panel 2 on page 6, depicting the original Psycho Pirate, the unfortunately brief encounter with Votan, and especially that bold second panel on page 24, 
were just magnificent. I've just checked all of those panels and I would agree with him. Good. The story was full of delightful touches from the 40s. The returning villain, Nelson's reply to Inza's request for a little magic, the return of Dr. Fate's past villains, the gentle plug on page 13, the beautiful action scenes, Tyler revealing his secret identity to his wife-to-be, and the very appropriate text feature put this issue on par with almost any that the Golden Age produced. And that's from Andrew Fracknois from the Bronx, New York. Then the next letter. Dear Editor, Praises upon praises upon plaudits upon plaudits for Starman and Black Canary. This second of revivals and teamwork has even surpassed the Doctor Fate Hourman venture, which is no mean trick since that team was superb. This issue was considerably better in several ways. The first was that Sir Fox managed to so excellently characterise all of the characters within such a short space. Congratulations on remembering so often forgotten a task. This issue's missed villain was just about the weirdest looking thing I've seen in some while, and he was cleverly used. I particularly liked this revival of Black Canary, since she's one of the few female characters I like. The hand-to-hand combat scenes were excellent. Murphy Anderson's art was brilliant. It far surpasses a good deal of what I've seen around. I hope there'll be more Starman Black Canary issues, and for heaven's sake, keep Anderson as an artist. It is nice to view beautiful, complete backgrounds to complement excellent figures. And that's from Paul Sador, Imperial PA. And the final letter says, Dear Editor, Having seen the ranks of Bachelor superheroes rapidly thin as more and more DC characters discover the joy of matrimonial bliss and forsake the cause of celibacy, <laughs> I expected to see your company turn the trend toward anti-bachelorhood to your supervillains. The big superhero hunt was, and I've used this word often in praise of DC magazines, superb. Sportsmaster and Huntress were much better in this issue than they had ever been in the past, another example of how far the comics field has gone in the advancement of quality. Gardner Fox's story and Murphy Anderson's art were excellent. Well Handled was the revival of Wildcat, also in better form than he was in the 40s, even if he was a bit of a moaning mini. That was my insight, of course. In closing, if the team-up issues of Starman and Black Canary and Brave and Bold, as well as the showcase tryouts of Doctor Fate and Hourman in that magazine, are meant to determine the sellability of such comics... I hope you succeed beyond your best expectations. And that's from Leonard Tirado, Saratoga Springs, New York. Fantastic. Wowza. People were into it. Yeah, plaudits all round. Uh, lots and lots of praise heaped on Murphy Anderson there. Yeah. Gardner Fox as well, but you know, it seems to be mostly people were really loving the artwork in it. It's interesting then that they didn't really do very much else. I mean, obviously the Spectre hangs around for a while. We've talked about Wildcat mm-hmm. making a lot of guest appearances. The annual summer JLA and JC team-ups continue, and obviously the Flash team-ups and the Green Lantern team-ups, but that's about it. There's certainly not any more tryouts, and there's certainly not an ongoing series, apart from the spectre of any of the more superhero-y Golden sure. Age characters. From our perspective, or from my perspective as an Hourman fan, I would have loved it if Dr. Fate and Hourman had, <laughs> had six or seven issues or something. Yeah, can you imagine? It would have been great. So much positivity from the readers, but they obviously decided not mm-hmm. to go with it for whatever reason. Interesting. Yeah. And it is strange, out of all of them, the Spectre is the one that they choose to have the ongoing series after yeah. this. Because, obviously, as we said in that story, he's literally fighting the devil. Where do you go from there? Mm. I guess mm-hmm. we're going to have to read all these issues and find out. Without giving too much away, the balance and the types of stories that are told in the Spectre sort of changes it goes on. But, we'll, you know, we look forward to covering all of those. No, I mean, I can only guess that the Spectre got his own book because out of all of the Golden Age revivals, he must have been the one that got the most 
positive response, I suppose. He is going to pop up and brave in the bold a couple of times. He's front and centre in a couple of the JLA JSC team ups at various points as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it was nice to finally find that little letters page and get get the idea of what people were saying at the time. I think it's better now, to be honest, to read them all all together rather than maybe just have read, if we'd known about it and read one letter yes. at a time after each individual comic. Very true. It's nice to kind of round it out. It is kind of summing up as almost like a mini event. Yes. Like the Earth 2. I don't want to say the Earth 2 showcase because obviously, you know, uh, but it is pretty much a showcase for the Earth 2 characters. Uh-huh. Another interesting point is, of course, Starman Black Canary had two issues. Doctor Fate Hour Man had two issues. But Spectre actually gets three tryout issues. That's true, yes. Before he gets his main series because we do have showcase number 64 coming up and we will be covering that as well and we'll also cover some of the feedback in that episode too. Awesome. Speaking of feedback... Yes. Do you have any feedback for us? If so, please get in touch. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the Earth 2 podcast and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. As ever, we'll be posting lots of highlights from this issue and lots of extra bonus material as well. Yep, check out our Instagram and Facebook pages, as Peter says, because there'll be covers and panels from the story that we've talked about and some more supplementary material, photographs of action figures and other appearances by the characters that we've talked about, just to give you a little bit more context about everything that's happening. So that's everything for this episode. I've been Peter. And I've been David. And we will see you next time on... The Earth, Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. The abominations of all time are here. These friends are the living... These friends. Sorry. (laughs) I'm doing a lot of talking. (laughs) It's It's fine. It's fine.